My name is Jim Noka. I'm with Kyle Versteeg, and I'd like to welcome you to the third edition of Knife Journal, the podcast. And today, we, uh, we're going to start talking about a little bit about knife design and knife designers and uh, knife, people copying other people's designs and thinking that they're their own and yeah, there's there's all sorts of things we can get into. We should we should first um, take care of a couple little pieces of business. Oh, we got our first subscriber, <laughs> and I, I I think you know who he is. He's Jonathan Eldridge. Um, he's a knife photographer, and he does basically a bunch of outdoors photography stuff. And so I kind of wanted to give him a plug. Pretty good guy. Uh, I've known I've known him for a long time. Uh, yeah, he's we've, probably, we've got dirt time with the guy. Yeah, like a, a significant amount actually. Yeah, he's been he has been around uh, knife forums for. I think he was one of the early early members. Um, mm-hmm. He's a he's a good guy. He's a uh, yeah. uh, I think military. He's, yep, I think he's just about ready to either get out of the army or. I, I don't remember now what what his status is but he's like at that point in time when he could either push on to retirement or or separate mm-hmm. and uh i know the last time we were together we were talking about that and i don't re- i don't think he's made up his mind yet what he's going to do uh if yeah. he's going to separate or if he's going to re- keep on and just finish out his career but if you're looking to uh, have your knives photographed or some, you have a company with some outdoor gear, those sorts of things, you can get in contact with a real stand-up guy, takes good photos. Uh, his email address to contact him is jse92071 at gmail.com. So that was our first subscriber. <laughs> he's a pretty good guy. Uh, yeah, he's a good guy. So um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is that... Uh, I have a new knife I'm geeking out over. You know, you alluded to that on the phone last night. Yeah, well, there, actually, there's two things. The first is I heard from our um, friend at uh, Three Sisters Forge last night. Oh, you did? Yes, I did. Ah, he, what did he have to he, say? Well, he's he's uh, kicking right along, making knives and stuff, and uh, he's got a uh, Damascus beast. Oh! Um, yeah, so he's he's gonna make me a, a lefty Damascus beast with you know nice. basically set up the same way that, nice. that yours is, now, but out of with a Damascus. Now did he did he change the pivot on those? Well, you had said something uh, about yeah, an upgrade you know, or something those, at one time. There's those. Well, I think the first knife uh, knives that he made, my friends got one of them. It had those like IKBS bearings in them, mm-hmm. and. Um, I don't know the whole story, but I think they were like a pain in the butt to get because he had to like source them through a supplier and all this. Well, they're little bitty um, BBs. They cut a race yeah. in the and they right. But it's like apparently it's like the cat's ass when mm-hmm. it comes to like um, smooth opening knives and things. Yep. Well, so he made a bunch of them with that, and then he's he then he switched to the mechanism that you have. Right. At one point, we were exchanging emails, and he wanted my he wanted my knife back, or the one that you have now, to put it, put something else in it. Because um, I know the I know the um, uh, the IKBS um, is a is a, basically it's a ball bearing system, mm-hmm. and it it's very very effective. It's very smooth. It's like glass. But mm-hmm. if you ever take it apart to clean it, 
there's a bazillion little BBs that are that are not captured. Uh, yeah, so the, it's not like it's not like a uh, sealed bearing system. No, uh uh-uh. no. And what happens is uh, the the possibility exists that you lose a BB. I mean, they're teeny, teeny, tiny yeah, little BBs. Yeah, they're like shotgun BBs or whatever. Yep. And yeah. so the so the uh, um, that's that's a downside to it. But the upside to it, I have one, and they're they are like glass. I mean, they are. Yeah. There is nothing right now that I'm aware of that is a, is that smooth. Um, yeah. But this one but, has got this one's got uh, brass washers, mm-hmm. which is pretty common for for the yeah. for that style. A lot of the guys that are into flippers and stuff like that, that bearing system, because mm-hmm. they like whip their knife around and make clicking and stuff, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> I'd be afraid to cut myself doing that stuff. I see yeah. those guys, like, they scare me. I'd be like, I'd be like with that knife stuck in my forehead. What the, how did yeah. that happen? Well, I was kind of flipping around my battle song and it got away from me and it stuck me in the forehead. <laughs> well, then, well, then the, the ones I'm talking about are the, um, the the folders that have the little spine at the top that you press that spine and then the blade will flip. Oh, open. those flippers. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's more the kind I'm talking about. The, the I thought you were talking the, about the act of flipping around a ballast oh, and yeah, not the, the act of flipping open a knife. Yeah. Nah, I I I, uh, I played with one of those for a while in college, but I just got bored with it. Um, I tell you, uh, some of the some of the guys that are. I mean, they're all over YouTube right now. Guys that are that can flip them around, right? I don't know yeah. how they don't. I don't know how they don't cut themselves. Well, you, you'd have to. It, it's a it's a game of millimeters. Like the when you first start doing it, you're all you're constantly hitting the back of the blade into your hand. Mm-hmm. But you you eventually develop enough finesse that that the back of that blade will never ever come in contact with your hand, and it, it takes a long time to get to that point. Um, you know, I think it's sort of like throwing a frisbee. I remember in hmm. college how some kids could throw frisbees like crazy, and they hmm. were always the kids that had all kinds of free time to throw frisbees around. I well, never, right. <laughs> I never had enough time to throw a frisbee around. So, I, yeah. <laughs> so, so my frisbee throwing skills are like in the dumper. Yeah, <laughs> I have, I have actually, none. <laughs> well, me neither. And the funny thing now, that, now that you bring up frisbee in college, I played for like. Uh, a month on the varsity ultimate frisbee team <laughs> at, at University of Iowa. So, That's funny. Yeah, but I mean, I quickly lost interest because I, again, I like you, I couldn't throw frisbee all that well. Yeah. Well, I remember there was a it was a kind of a funny deal in high school. A lot of kids would go to the go to the park and and uh, throw frisbees and and uh, and just veg, you know, hang out. Mm-hmm. You know, drink little kings or little you know beers, and then yeah. um, they uh, crap. Um, sorry about that. No, that was <laughs> it. Was a phone I didn't silence. Anyway, um, and I I had to work. You know, I worked on Saturday and you know on the weekends. Yeah. It was my, my dad always had me mowing and stuff or yeah. cleaning up. You know, when you have when you live in the woods, it's like. Stuff is tree limbs are constantly coming down. There's there's always mowing to do. There's always other, you know, stuff. And I had I had plenty of leisure time, but um, it's kind of hard to throw a frisbee to yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like and and we lived in the middle of nowhere, and I was like, I mean, I had uh, sisters, but you know, throwing frisbee with them was not something that was going to happen. That's um, funny. Yeah. 
anyway, so so I put that in the same in the same boat. I never developed the skill set required to flip a ballast song around, nor did I ever see the reason to develop that skill set. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just I used to just do it when I was studying, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I used to have to spend many 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 hours a day studying, and so I'd have something to play with, and that was something to kind of play with. Um, as a little bit of a distraction now and again. Um, but I mean, I never got good at it or like some of these guys on YouTube. Um, but I, I do see the, I, I now understand how it, how advanced that skill set is. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, the flippers that I was talking about are those ones with the little, where there's a little spine connected to the blade and you press the spine and it pops out. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of knives like that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so anyway we were we got off track a little bit but I I did talk to um, the three sisters forge and uh, he's got he's got a run of Damascus that he's doing but uh, the knife that I'm obsessing about is not that because I've already owned that knife the knife I'm obsessing about is the one that I don't currently own and that's uh, the you're gonna laugh it's a Benchmade 5000. And the Benchmade 5000 is a auto knife. Um, it's a Mel Perdue design. Is this, that it? This one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that looks like it's it. <laughs> well, you're, you're going to laugh. I'm all obsessed about that. Um, yeah, he's, he's flipping it open there. It's, it's basically um, an axis lock, uh, and you, you can set it up left or right-handed. And uh, that you pull on the axis lock, and then that activates the knife. You know what? You know so, what's interesting about that? It, and that's a great knife. I have a mm-hmm. I have a prototype of that knife when it was not an automatic. They came oh, out cool. the first version of it. I think is a 500. Right. I, uh, and it's and the 500 is not as a non-automatic, and the 5000 is. It's called. It's the Presidio. Yeah, Presidio. And <clears throat> the non-automatic version of it is actually almost as fast mm-hmm. i mean because that because the the way that axis lock is you just basically release the lock mm-hmm. and you can you can flip it open yeah i mean my dad was really good at it he just grabbed both of them with his thumb and forefinger mm-hmm. and flipped the knife open yeah and uh so i mean don't i mean it's always cool to have an automatic knife but but that model and and those benchmade axis locks, a lot of times they're just as they're just as fast without it without it being an automatic. Yeah, the the Presidio is is a great knife. Um, it's it's very heavy duty, and it, it has got the, the one thing I don't carry it very often because of the because of the scales. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can see if you can see it, it's. Uh, it's got that uni, unidirection or bidirectional. It's like got the really aggressive um, yep. stuff on the scales, which, I, you know, I'm not a I'm not a huge auto guy. I think I I own three. I own a Boker. I own like a classic, you know, 50s greaser switchblade. <laughs> Stiletto. Right, and and then I own a little teeny tiny little miniature switchblade that's like an inch and a half long. Mm-hmm. With a little pearl handle on it that I got at an antique store when I was a kid. <laughs> what kid needs a switchblade? <laughs> oh yeah. But anyway, well, I tell you, it's it's a great it is a great knife. It's a very useful blade design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't have serrations on mine. Yeah, I'm not a serration I, I, guy. I'm, I hate 
Well, I can't say I hate serrations, but I, I do not order or buy blades that have serrations on them. I, right. just, I just can't deal with it. Right. Um, and, I, and I don't carry, you know, it's funny, I, I have the ability to carry an automatic and I don't. I mean, it's very, it's not very often I have an automatic in my pocket. Yeah. and I, It's and just it's, one of those things. It's really, for me, it's nothing that I'm in the habit of carrying. In fact, I've never carried an automatic. But uh, the reason I got cued into this knife was a trip I took like a year ago. There's a guy in uh, Phoenix area um, named Paul Reithmeyer. And he's uh, probably the world expert or one of the world experts on... Um, our border and he does uh, like civilian border patrol stuff down there mm-hmm. and uh, anyway I went I went with him and hung out in the desert for a week um, tearing around and stuff uh, like it, it's like no country for old men down there <laughs> like seriously <laughs> it's crazy along our border and um, I mean like if you go anywhere south of like I-10 or I-8 any road that you turn off on is going to have a a sign on it that says "Danger Smugglers and Traffic" or "and uh, Crime in this area." You know, don't go here. And and um, there's a we have a Ironwood National Monument down there that we went into. And as we were pulling in, um, the Border Patrol, our our actual like real Border Patrol, stopped us and said, "Are you you guys know that if you go back here, it's." like extremely dangerous and he's like and uh paul said yes and he goes well are you guys armed and he said yes heavily and and that he said well just be careful and uh basically beware and this is this is a national monument you know <laughs> so we basically yeah it's basically um we've surrendered um south of i-10 to like drug traffic and stuff and that it's awful well it's to me that's terrible and it's a that's a this is a whole topic for another yeah but but anyway another political day yeah yeah <laughs> we, we can we can talk about that I, i'm actually going back down there or at least i plan to in november when it cools down a bit mm-hmm. um to screw around in the desert and um drive around in four-wheel drives and <laughs> you that know. sounds like fun oh yeah you'd love it, 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 it it's uh it's, i spent some time in the desert <laughs> yeah I, I need to get out there and like you know, play with shelters. Last time I went down there, I, I wrote like five articles of different stuff we were doing, and I got a bunch wow. of videos out of it. And um, anyway, the, he's the one that has the the uh, Benchmade 5000, and I just ah. that was like the coolest knife. And I thought about it, thought about it, thought of, thought about it, and now I'm to the point of obsessing. So that's my my geek out for the show. Uh, you got anything like that you're you're looking at, or it's nah. kind of hard with you because you already have it all. Yeah. No, you know what? I'm not. Um, I'm not really obsessing about anything lately. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's not coming shortly. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going. I'm going to the USN show. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. What we should talk. Uh, in fact, I'm. I'm. I'm that. leaving tomorrow. My flight is uh, at 8:30 tomorrow morning. Yep. So, uh, I, I'm going to probably bring my microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Do a, maybe, do a remote podcast or whatever. Yeah. Maybe we can do a remote podcast from there. Yeah. If you, or, if you give me a call, we could, we could do a Skype and I could be here and you could be there and yep. maybe talk to some, uh, 
some of the serious USN people. <laughs> yeah. That'd yep. be fun. Yep, that's what I'm thinking too. So I don't know if I can do it in the in the sh- in the show or. Well, I, I don't I don't see why not. Um, I think. The, but it might be too loud. Well, yeah, that's that's been um, part of the issue. Um, I think maybe maybe we if if we just warn people that it's going to be a little the audio is going to be a little janky on uh, on that podcast, then maybe they'll forgive us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that sounds like a real real good time, and like uh, you know just. If you meet some interesting people, bring them over. Yeah. You know, and, and we'll talk. You know to what? Them. The other thing I might do is use a small voice recorder mm-hmm. and then just basically talk to somebody that way, too. Yeah. And we'll see. Yeah. However, and then, you know, if you can't if you can't call me, if we can't hook it up because there's no wireless or whatever, then uh, right. we can always um, we can always just put out a, a episode with you at the USN. That That sounds awesome. Right. That's what that's what I'm gonna try anyway. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do a a little remote from uh, Becker's mm-hmm. uh, at the end of uh, September there. So that should be fun. Well, yeah, we should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Pretty well, good too. Yeah, because he's got he's got Wi-Fi, and mm-hmm. if I brought my uh, laptop and microphone, should be able to get him on pretty easily. And there's he there's always like other knife makers there like one year uh, jerry fisk came mm-hmm. and he, he's actually the guy that taught me how to do a convex edge mm-hmm. like he spent actual time with me showing me how to do it like and he's a, like the nicest guy and uh he you know we ethan's got a grinder he's got like a one or a three by 72 or something like that um he's got a really good grinder and uh, we 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 spent like an hour um with him like learning how to do it and he he worked with each of us individually showing us that and it was really cool that sounds cool um but he reason jerry fisk came into the picture is uh he and ethan uh designed a knife together um the bk5 and that's uh have you ever seen that it's it's kind of a I don't remember that one. Yeah, well, the the BK5 um, was a collaboration between Jerry Fisk and uh, Ethan, and I have one. I like it, but you're gonna laugh at where I use it. <laughs> I in the beca- kitchen. Yeah, because I don't I don't carry big knives. Uh, oh yeah, I know yet. that. I know. Yeah, that. it's it's like a huge, um, well, huge by my standards uh, knife, but it's fantastic in the kitchen if you put that uh, Fisk. Um, convex edge on there Mm -hmm. Uh, and i I use that quite a bit uh in the kitchen so but uh yeah there'll be i'm sure there'll be some interesting people there that we can talk to and yak it up uh you never know quite what to expect (laughs) right 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 um you know one of the things that i want to talk about and I i don't know how to breach the subject very well the other day we were talking about knife designers mm-hmm. and how people get all pissy about somebody stealing somebody else's knife design. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I said, I made the statement that, you know, no, nothing's ever, nothing's new in the knife world. There's not very much that's new. Rarely you'll see something new. You'll <clears throat> right. see a new idea, um... Like I think uh, in in they recent times, yeah. Like in in recent times, I'd say um, Rick Hinderer, 
mm-hmm. has um, with you know with some of the things he's done has uh, come up with some new stuff. And and believe me, I don't know every knife. I'm not a knife expert, so if I'm missing your innovation, don't get well, all mad. I mean, you'd be talking about like uh, locking systems, like the Acoma or the or the bearing system that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. or a, a button lock. Mm-hmm. But usually it revolves around some kind of locking mechanism, the axis lock. That, yeah, that was kind it, of new. It, like as far as blade shape, though, it, it's going to be hard because uh, the the blades that we all use have have evolved over. And, and you're going to think this is crazy, but it's thousands of years. Right. You know, and certain blade shapes have come about that just work because we've had right. thousands of years to work on them. You know, and if you if you come up with some crazy blade, you know, it's uh, it's hard to imagine that you're gonna come up with something that's better than thousands of years of working on it. Right. Um, well, and it's like the it's like the uh, you talk about different kinds of grinds, and you, you know, those are all something that's kind of recent. You know, you're talking about just a hollow grind. Mm-hmm. I mean, hollow grinds were really it's just easier to to manufacture, and that's mm. why we have them. I mean, they were literally uh, they were literally designed to make the manufacturing process easier. It did not make the knife cut any better. Right. Yeah, and we've and, we've talked about that. And, and you're not a fan of hollow grinds. Um, well, I, I, I kind of am, but uh, that's but just, I but I you kind of are. I, yeah. <laughs> I well, listen, geeky, I, but I, I, I like them. I understand the, I understand the, um, the visual appeal to it, uh, that's, and that's, that's why. That's all I like about it. Is and that's the visual, and that's um, and, and when you squeeze the blade, um, and you know if you play with your pocket knife, <laughs> don't don't get a dirty image here. But you know <laughs> if you, if you play with the pocket knife, um, one of the things I do is I I kind of grab um, like just just feel the edge geometry. Like mm-hmm. I like to do that, um, and uh, I I like the way that hollow grind feels, and that's it's just a tactile thing um, with me, and a, it's also a visual thing. But I just well, like the, the way the, they feel. the big the big deal. I mean, when somebody like Bob Loveless says the only reason I'm putting ho- uh, hollow grinds in a knife is because it's visually appealing, mm-hmm. because it doesn't make the knife cut any better. Right. Well, um, and, I tend to listen. And we well exactly, and I'm not. I, I'm not making any claims about cutting. Yep. Yep. Um, but uh, and that, but but they are they are definitely more visually appealing. And in the in the mass production realm, I think that that was they were. Um, I think there was an easier way to develop. There was the easiest way to develop an extremely sharp edge mm-hmm. on a throwaway knife. Okay. Because apparently the first uh, hollow grinds were actually kitchen knives. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you were able to, you know, basically get a kind of a throwaway type kitchen knife that you could stamp out a blade, hollow grind it, and be done with it. Yeah, and it takes like a couple seconds. Right. Without, without a bunch of finesse and, and training mm-hmm, and, exactly. and feel and worrying about the tip getting too hot. I mean, there's there's exactly. a lot that goes into those um, to, the, to a really good convex grind like uh, they put on it. Um, bark yep. over there well prior know. but prior to 1900s mm-hmm. everything was convexed yeah 
by necessity, I mean, was, yeah. How are you gonna How are you gonna get a perfectly flat grind if you're you using can. a freaking round stone to grind it? Exactly. You know, like exactly. the little pedal that you push and it turns the stone. Exactly, and yeah. you couldn't hold it steady enough. Mm-mm. And that, you know, so so I get the hollow grinding. It, it makes it look makes it look fancier. You know, makes yeah. it look you know, and it's kind of the ends up being kind of the mark of a lot of custom knife makers is how well they can make those. All those bevels and and yeah. grinds match up, yeah. and the grind lines match up. You know, I mean, there's definitely art that that's involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but as far as make you know making it cut any better, I don't think it does. Well, and and you you and Mike had a conversation. You were telling me about that um, about the way a the way a hollow grind will cut versus the way a convex grind will cut mm-hmm. and the, the pushing apart, um, of material, of material. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, it, it's kind of a complex thing to be able to talk about on a podcast yeah, without, without visuals, without visuals. It's, it's kind of hard to show that, but, but, um, I, I kind of bought that, um, line of reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, because, uh, because what happens is with a hollow grind, you can only cut in so far. And then you you start hindering the cut. It starts it starts dragging too much. Because mm. of um, but the uh, convex grind spreads the material while it's cutting. So, right. Eh, it's it, it's hard know. to it's hard to give people a visual of that. Yep. But, um, yep. Yep. But but we were talking about guys that were that were actually innovators in in the in the knife world, you know and Talk about guys like Bob Loveless and mm-hmm. Bo Randall and Ken Onion and Jimmy Lyle, Jimmy Lyle, Elmar, guys that guys Blackie Collins, guys that changed the way um, the the way knives were made, the way they looked, um, the way they operated. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron Lake uh, did you know he was a great innovator. Uh, actually, Lynn Thompson from from Cold Steel. Mm-hmm. Um, Big innovator, American Tanto, kind of kind of developed that. Mm-hmm. Um, Webster Marble, oh, you know he oh, was yeah. a he was a phenomenal innovator. Yeah, and, and they uh, did all that know, with a hammer. <laughs> father father of uh, the American hunting knife, yeah. actually. Um, you know, so and those guys uh, were actual innovators. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were actually guys that did things that nobody else had done before Mm -hmm. and i don't think that um and i don't want to take anything away from anybody today but there's not very much in the way of innovation i mean there's different kinds of grinds you know i mean you're holding i mean you're holding the blades different way while you're grinding them Mm -hmm. you know that uh, i don't think that that's extremely innovative um and not as innovative as let's say a um, the 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 Icoma lock or the Icoma um, bearing system. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's pretty innovative. I mean, that's something different that's not hadn't been done before. But well, and then the other the other thing I would say is um, a lot of what they're talking about um, in terms of copying is they're they're copying a visual style. Mm-hmm. One of the things that drives me uh, somewhat bonkers um, about some of the tactical knives is they're they're really cool to look at. They look really aggressive and like all of that, and 
Um, but that's what they were designed for. They were designed to look a certain way, not necessarily to have a, a certain function. Mm-hmm. And you, you and me being both um, knife users, you know, to, to like me at least, the function is is much more important than the visual aspects of the knife. And um, I, I uh, watch some YouTube videos and reviews sometimes just to, just to see what's out there because I'm, you know, I'm I'm uh, kind of an oddball in terms of my preferences for knives. And I, mm-hmm. I just, just to see what other people like, the thing they will talk about um, is not how well the, the knife performs, but they'll say, well, I don't like the look of this G10 scale. And there's a, there's a review out there on the uh, Spyderco Domino, which I think is a really cool looking knife. And I'm, I'm trying to avoid geeking out about that because I don't want to buy another one, but, um, but it's got a G10 handle on it that's got like kind of an interesting check pattern on it. And I kind of like the check pattern, but that's not what would make me buy that knife. You know, it's it's other stuff, you know, blade shape and how well is it actually going to work. But right. but the thing that people are criticizing or they're arguing about is the aesthetics of the knife, not the function. And that's that's kind of, I don't know, when people, so in my mind, when people are talking about well, so-and-so stole my knife design, they're arguing about the aesthetics of it. Right. You know, and and um, I think uh, the big, the big, if, if you want to call it a trend um, right now in knife design, the stuff that's hot that all the guys that like their flippers are buying is like the zero-tolerance-looking knives. Those big, mm-hmm. beefy, like, um, it looks like you're carrying a banana in your pocket type knives. Mm-hmm. Um uh, which are are awesome. I had a I had a, a ZT zero two hundred that I actually used as a bribe. <laughs> I think I have I think I have one of those. Yeah. So so I I actually like that particular model of the ZT stuff. Um, but I I had to give that to a guy. Um, that's another story. Um, but uh, and that was not in the United States. So <laughs> you, you you can't come after me. Um, but uh, that that particular knife I gave away, um, but I really liked that knife. Um, mm-hmm. Got a, you out of trouble, though. It, it, it did get me out of some trouble. Um, the guy gave it to is Percy Yacomo, and he's a he's a guy that um, does guiding through the Amazon jungle and stuff. And uh, he had it for a while, and, and the story is that he um, stuck it in an alligator, which knowing him is entirely believable and the alligator swum away with it. But (laughs) I think probably what happened is it went to a pawn shop (laughs) and, uh, he, he bought uh, like gas for his boat or something is more likely. Um, but I've got, I've got like all kinds of pictures with him acting all manly with it and stuff. He's got his shirt off looking all like jungly. Um, that's funny. Yeah. That, that one, I think his picture ended up in that Blade magazine article I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know that that uh, and it's funny those big beefy knives. I can't I can't carry one like that. Oh, I don't yeah. know. It's. I mean, I'm thinking. I mean, and I like them. I, I think they're very cool looking, and I can understand why people buy them. But I cannot imagine carrying one. Hmm. They're too thick. Yeah, too I th- I tried, and it, it just uh, it, they're just too too much. And the, the you, edge you always know you have it though. I yeah. mean, it's not like you. It's not like an easy knife to lose. Yeah. You know, like the minute it comes out of your pocket, you know exactly it's gone. 
Yeah, and but the the other thing is is that when they're the one trend that, that is kind of bothering me about these knives again it comes back to the function. Um, you've got a folder with an enormously thick blade, and the stuff that I use a folder for is going to be like cleaning a fish. Mm-hmm. And it, it will work to use that, but just as just as good of a knife to do the same thing as something with a thin blade, like a Spyderco Paramilitary 2 or something like that, which mm-hmm. um, I've got a, I got a, a, a sprint run um, with orange G10 uh, scales on it of the Paramilitary 2, and I just love that um, as, as kind of a as kind of a uh, folder for everyday use and then also when I go to uh, jungle stuff and, and do that sort of thing I, I buy a machete or or use a shared machete and then um, have a folder as my kind of personal knife. Um, mm-hmm. should mention um, Robert Young Pelton's company DPX Gear. Mm-hmm. He's got that uh, Hest um, 2.0 and I've got a, a lefty of that. I actually had two of them and one of them um, was given out again as a as a bribe knife <laughs> in that same situation um but uh i've i the last time i went i did the trek you know the jungle trek through guiana and that, that's what i carried and it worked just fine you know and that's even that is kind of a little bit on the thick side but um you know you're not going to break it right but but just for everyday carry i like um Something a little thinner, you know, something that will disappear into your pocket. Right. Um, Almar Eagle comes to oh, yeah. mind. Um, yep. Any of the Spydercos with the thinner profile. Um, I, my favorite one right now is the the Paramilitary 2, and I also like the I like their Delica 4. Mm-hmm. You know, that like that one you've got, the little brown one? Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had that in uh, Iraq for a while, I think. Yeah, that's what you were saying. And, of course, I like the Sabenza. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, Sabenza's pretty hard to beat. Yeah, but you you drop that or lose it, and you're going to you're gonna cry over that. <laughs> so right. that one I don't carry as much. But You know, the other the other things you want to talk about that people, guys that are innovative that have actually done a lot, and, you, and Chris Reeve comes to mind. I mean, he... Uh, I mean, he kind of came up with the frame lock. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the... The titanium frame lock. I mean, that's pretty much nothing like that existed prior to to the Sabenza. Hmm. And a lot of people probably don't realize that, but um, everybody makes one now. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so Blackie Collins, he 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 figured out a way to injection mold knives, mm-hmm. injection mold handles, so that you could make ten bazillion of them. That's cool. You know, he's one of the few guys that actually made a, made money at it during uh, having a collaboration mm-hmm. because he figured out a way to mass produce knives, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's kind of cool. That's a neat little little bit. Jimmy Lyle, mm. I mean, he he changed he changed the way everybody thought about hollow handle knives, and and after that, everybody had one. <laughs> Yep. Recognize that blade shape. I know they can't see yep. it at home, but yep. uh yep. yeah, I just it's love it. It's not enough clip yet. Oh, you'd have to see it up close. Um uh I it could be a little bit more aggressive, but it's it's pretty darn similar. Um 
anyway, they, they can't see that, so I won't belabor the point. But, uh, yeah, I, cute. I love that blade shape on that first blood, you know, knife. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's funny. I'm so obsessed about that stupid thing, and I have been ever since we, I first saw it. We should buy it. one. Yeah, but should, it's like $2,200. What we were talking about, um, this brings me to something that we briefly touched on last night. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we were talking about how everybody thinks they can be a knife designer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or, um, and, uh, the, the, uh, the phenomenon of, uh, celebrity and being able to sell knives. Um, yep. Celebrity knife design. Yeah. There's, and you know, I don't, I don't want to mention any names because, um, a couple of the guys that I would bring up are like friends. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the, one of them is actually very good. Um, the 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 guy you and I were talking about last night night um, mm-hmm. has a knife um, that's put out by uh, Blind Horse Knives, mm-hmm. and that's that's actually a, an extremely good knife. I'm just going to say it's Dave Canterbury's knife. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a it's a it's put out by Blind Horse, but I think Dave Canterbury sells it on his uh, website. I think that's the only that's place that, you that's can that actually, Pathfinder knife. Yeah. But um, the the one he makes two versions. One is like the longer blade, and one is the thinner blade. And the only reason that I, that I'm aware of that knife is because that's what uh, Mickey Grossman brought along on that Amazon 5000 trip. That's what he carried, and um, that I think for a celebrity knife, that thing is awesome. Um, and it because it's again, it's a function knife. It's not a it's very visually appealing, but it's also an extremely functional knife for doing stuff outside. So you can c- compare that knife and contrast that knife with some of the other stuff that's out there designed by celebrities. Um, and uh, yeah, but that, you know, I look at that knife. I mean, it's nothing special. It right, but um, com- I mean to com- say that to say that he designed that, I would have to say. He likes it. He probably likes that knife. Yeah. But but I'll guarantee you that he took aspects from two or three different yeah. knives that yeah. that he already liked and combined and, them and, to make his and combine them knife. together to, to and and I'll bet you you can go back in history and find another knife that looks just like that. Oh well, yeah, I'm not I'm not claiming some originality there, but but what I'm saying is like if you compare that to some of the other celebrity knives. And people buy the hell out of some of those knives. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've got a knife in Walmart, like you're gonna sell oh, yeah. buttloads of those things. You yeah. know, and, and yep. Dave's yep. knife isn't in any Walmarts, but there are some of these knives. And what what we were talking about last night, and it really made me think, um, was that just just because you're famous doesn't mean that you're gonna make a good knife. Right, and I I got to thinking about it in terms of my own uh, profession. Now, I I see knife making and um, knife design as a profession. It's a professional thing. It's an important thing, and uh, people study their entire lives and work their entire lives just just as you would in any other profession, developing that craft and learning things. You know, like somebody like Mike Stewart. All he mm-hmm. does with his life is make knives. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all he does. You know, and I got to thinking about 
Um, what if someone could just claim to be a surgeon just because they were famous, you know, and people would go to them and they could bypass all of the training and all of the hard work and all the other things um, that it takes to, to become a, a true professional in something. And uh, so I, I looked at how I would feel about like, you know, some say Snooky. Snooky, be, Snooky, because she's famous, says, okay, I'm a surgeon now. Like, that would drive me absolutely insane. <laughs> you know, it just would, because you've devoted so much of your life to, to learning a profession and perfecting your craft and all these sorts of things. And then somebody comes along who may be completely bubble-headed and can just all of a sudden claim to have equivalence with you. And, and Snooky and Mike Stewart are not equivalent on any level. You know, mm -hmm. just like Snooky is not in any way, shape, or form equivalent to, you know, a, a lawyer or a, a really good dentist or a doctor or any profession or a school teacher. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's that's kind of what I was. That's kind of what I took away from our conversation last night. Yeah. About well, and and one of the things that uh, um, that I've that I've noticed is that there's a lot of a lot of knives that are um, that are carrying names of guys that that spent time in the Middle East, or they they're you know they've been in the Marines, or they've been you know, and they they design something that they like, mm -hmm. and and they become they get notoriety because of what they've done, and people buy the knives. And I almost think that it's a lot of it. People are buying the knives because they like the guy. They don't necessarily like the knife, um, because I've not. There's not a ton of knives that I see out there that are designed by those fellas that, and that are any better than anything else. Yeah. Um, well, and then and then. Uh, sometimes... I mean, most of the most of the military people. I mean, when I was overseas, I didn't see. I saw very few, quote unquote, combat knives. I saw a lot of super tools and that, and that kind yeah, of stuff, Gerber's and little pocket knives. And but, bench mates. you know, Uncle Sam gives you bullets so that you don't have to use a knife. Right. And and, and th th that's what everybody who's, like, actually uh, been there, done that kind of military guy, not the cook. You know, not mm -hmm. <laughs> the guys right. who are actually out there doing shoot 'em up um, right. tell me is that they, they use their knife to open MRE boxes. Right. You know, if if right. if they they see it as if they're in a knife fight, that's a fail. <laughs> that's an, yeah. If you're fighting with a knife, that's an epic fail. Somebody done yep. screwed up. Yep. You know, Big but time. but even even so, I think um, like that that combat knife I made for that uh, friend of mine that's a that's a combat soldier. He um, he loved it, and uh, but it's it's going to be it's never going to be stabbed into anybody. It's going to be used right. to like well, open MRE you know, boxes. It, well, I got pretty tight with a with a uh, uh, an, an A team, a partial A team guys I worked with when I was in Afghanistan. And when I came home, I I made them a, a bunch of knives or had a bunch of knives made for them, and they were combat style knives. And it was kind of funny because uh, when I was in the in the um, uh, talk. We were sitting around and bullshitting about the kind of knives that that they would like to have, mm -hmm. you know. The and and uh, one of the guys was saying, "Well, I'm gonna, I want something that I can carry, so I don't want something big, 
Yeah, you know, it, and it, it sits because on your belt the, and causes yeah. all these, you know, headaches. And of course, it. the other guys were saying, "Well, we, you know, we, we want something. We probably want something that we can display because you're gonna, if you're gonna have them engraved, I just as soon have it, you know." Uh, and so it was, it was kind of funny because one of the fellas, he was pretty adamant about it. He wanted something that he could actually use, mm-hmm. and he said he didn't want it to be big. Mm-hmm. He he wanted it to be small that he'd carry it because. Uh, they don't want to, you know, you go out on a patrol and you don't want to carry all that extra weight. No, God, I mean, no, you're already yeah. carrying, you know, a, a full loadout weighs quite a bit in body armor, weighs quite a bit. You don't want another, you well, know, two pounds hanging on your belt. Right, and space on your belt is is probably comes at a premium for those guys, I would imagine. Yeah, they're pretty skinny. Yeah, but we it, we we have a high speed friend. I'm not going to say his name. It'd be yep. interesting to see what he would say about it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, well, maybe we can have him on. Yeah, and he, can, out and his he name can decide, and stuff. Yeah, he can decide whether he wants to use his name. I mean, or he not. and and you know what's funny is he likes big knives. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, he does like big knives, but I, but to be honest, I don't think he's ever, I don't think he's ever carried one in anywhere. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, I know I I didn't see, I didn't see. I mean, in Vietnam, you saw a lot of pictures of guys that had. Big, some kind of big knife on them. It's probably because they were posing for a picture. They whipped it out. <laughs> well, that could be too. But, you know? but to be honest, I don't. I honestly, I cannot tell you that I saw anybody that had a big knife strapped onto their body armor. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, it. You know, I saw spikes. I saw shivs. Mm-hmm. You know, break contact knives, those kinds of things. But I didn't see, I didn't see anything, you know, large. Hmm. Yeah, but, that, that knife that I made for that guy, um, that friend of mine that's a combat guy. Uh, I don't know if he'll actually wear it, but he brought it to the armory, and everyone mm-hmm. freaked out about it because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, it was yeah. made from a lawnmower blade and all that. Yeah, and it, they they kind of like the idea like, of it. You know, it's sort of like carrying a big camera. Mm-hmm. You know. Once you carry a big camera once around, you, you don't want to carry a big camera around anymore. Yeah, you end up with a you end up with a, some small. If you're going to go on some kind of adventure or you're going to go on you know go somewhere, you carry a big camera around one time and yeah exactly, and you you don't do it because it's work. Yeah, all all the stuff that's on my YouTube channel where I'm actually like in jungle or in desert or where I have to actually carry all my stuff and i'm a long ways from civilization is shot with a flip this flip yep and yep. i unfortunately they're not made anymore and i can't get any more batteries for it or i i always watch for them um, but there's no i've tried all kinds of them and i can't find anything that's as good as that flip um they either take really good picture or decent audio but never both and the only one i've found is that flip but yeah i mean that's that's what i carry and i have I have some really high-end camera stuff because that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I studied in college was um, film and, and photography. So I have the cameras, and some of the stuff that I shoot around my house will be shot with like a Canon 5D Mark II, you mm-hmm. know. But the stuff where I'm actually out having to lug that crap around, I'm never bringing that thing anywhere. It's right. too damn heavy. Right. And that's and I think that's the same way with knives. I mean, the guys like them, mm-hmm. but I don't think they carry them. Yeah, you know, it just it just. 
Well, the weight then, of an extra magazine is more important than the weight of that big knife. Right, and then especially since, again, if you're having to use that big knife in a combat role, somebody right. done screwed up. Right. <laughs> you know, so right. they they try to avoid that situation. But um, right. The, but you know what? They look good. You know, and 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 uh, one of the things in movies, like the original Rambo movie, mm-hmm. the knife was actually a character. It, definitely, and that's why I responded so well. To, it's like the General Lee yeah. on Dukes of Hazard. Like yeah. the, the same, car, same kind of thing. It it was it became part of the show. It was part of the. It had a personality, and it was a character in the movie. Hmm. You know, um, and it's kind of interesting. I think the Jim Bowie knife was the same kind of a thing. It was the character. It was. It became its own character. Hmm. That's an interesting um, way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, before we wrap up, uh, I wanted to give a little update on a story that I talked about last time. Um, for those who haven't heard uh, episode two, there was the the kid um, from uh, he's from Arizona, but he was dri- he was in Seattle and he was driving back because he I guess he goes to Washington State or something. He was driving back and he was all obsessed with that movie Into the Wild. So he gets to uh, he gets to Oregon and sends a text to his friend saying, I'm going on an adventure. And that was the last anybody heard of him. And then they found his, his car in rural Idaho and his dad thought that he'd gone all into the wild. So I know how the story ends. I want to see what you would predict. This is a, again, this is an 18 year old kid who his father says has extremely limited experience in the wilderness who decides to go into the wilderness and there's i got more to say about that in just a second but what do you think is going to happen he was he was saying that he was going on an adventure but he didn't say he was actually running away from civilization that originally um he no uh from what i gather he'd been obsessed with that movie and he'd been talking about doing that okay one if you've read the book um the guy said uh, that was like one of the last things he ever said is like, I'm going to go on this big adventure. And then he freaking disappears into Alaska and gets found, you know, four months later, weighing 67 pounds, uh, all mummified and dead. Yeah. Um, my prediction is that he probably, he's in Idaho though, huh? They found his car yeah. in Idaho. Well, they found it in Idaho and, and it, it some more facts came about. No, I guess it was Oregon. Oregon is where he was found. But some more facts came out about where the car was found. Um, but uh, at, at any rate, um, what's your prediction? 18-year-old kid decides he's going to go be like this movie guy and live off the land. Very little wilderness experience. What happens? Well, my guess is he probably died. <laughs> well, there's there's an update to the story. He was found dead a thousand feet from his car, and uh, the police are investigating it as a as an actual suicide. Um, but th- those are those are pretty much the only details. Um, there's a story on CNN today about it. Um, so he so he uh, how did he die? I mean, did they well, say they, that they he don't just say. killed himself? Or? No, they they don't they don't say it specifically in the article. Um, uh, well, you know that's that is a uh, that is an adventure. You know, I mean, he's going where no man ever has come oh, back from. Well, okay, so now that now that now that we have that perception, 
the, where the little little patch of wilderness that he was that he went to um, is it, quote from the article. It's two and a half miles from the major interstate. It's right in the town of Riddle. Uh, Huston said of where Coombs' car was found. There are houses and people, and it's well populated. So if he wanted to do an into the wild, it wasn't the appropriate place. Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's it's not funny that a young kid dies, but no, um, maybe that's not what his intention was. Maybe yeah, his think, intention truly was to go on a big adventure where nobody has gone before. Yeah, and I think maybe um, maybe it maybe it was just a reading it. You you kind of read in a little bit that the facts of the thing don't really make sense because it wasn't a wilderness area he was going into. It was right. a populated area. And um, knowing what both you and I know about um, carrying capacity of the land and trying to live off the land, that's not a place you would choose. And No, it, unless I was going to go robbing houses. Well, right. Um, but And then it's not... It, it, that particular scenario does not fit with the I'm going to go into the wilderness and disappear and nobody's going to be able to find me. No. So it, no. it is kind of, that's probably why it's being investigated as a suicide. Um, and then, yeah. you know, being found a thousand feet from the from the thing. Although, interesting statistic um, that Morris Kahansky told me, um, I haven't verified it independently, but he said that most people that are found dead are like 50 yards or less from what would have saved them right so you know what what to make of it i don't know um the other interesting statistic is he says that most um people who die uh you know of that sort of thing die within 36 hours of quote unquote exposure um you know so well you know what i buy i buy that i i wouldn't even think it's that long I, I would think it's I would think it's considerably shorter than that. Yeah, because you think about if you're if you're lost and 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 it's raining and you don't have the skill to start a fire or or get any kind of shelter. Yeah, and, and don't understand that you know like go where where to stand on. In if all you can do is stand under a tree, they don't even understand that. You know, right. they don't understand which side of the tree or. Right. Know, what to look for, you know, to, to right. just get a little bit, a little bit of shelter from a downpouring rain. And if you get right. if you get wet and it's cold, you are in deep, deep, deep doo doo. Yep, yep. I mean that's that's all. And and living where I live, that's always the biggest fear. Mm-hmm. It's not so much, uh, you know, dehydration or I mean in in those survival type situations. I mean it's always, it's always exposure. Right. And and. and uh, the the guys from um, Blind Horse Knives have that uh, self reliance illustrated, mm-hmm. and uh, you're gonna think this is funny because I know how you'd answer this too. Um, they posted a question on Facebook like uh, six months ago or something, and uh, they said if you could only bring one piece of gear, uh, what would it be? And all these guys are like, oh, I'd bring my ZT0560 and all this stuff. And I wrote on there, um, I would bring climate-appropriate clothing. Yeah, yep. And I got in, again, I got myself into hot water over that. And people were arguing, and I'm like, okay, well, it's it's Iowa right now. It's winter. Let's you and I, you, you can take your knife uh, and, you know, whatever clothing you come with. And I will bring 
climate appropriate clothing. I'll have my down parka, you know, I'll have wool, uh, layers and layers of wool, I'll have appropriate footwear, and we'll go out um, on one of these nights when it's snowing and it's like 20 below zero, and you have your knife and your shirt and your pants and you know whatever we'll see who see who lasts let's see who lasts and now, i don't need a if, knife if between you and me mm-hmm. and you had that scenario and i had my knife and my coat and my set i would just stab you and take <laughs> exactly so i guess there's that but <laughs> I, I remember one time we were talking about the zombie apocalypse and in one me. of our camps and and uh, everybody was always talking about what you do for survival, and 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 the the guys that we were kind of hanging out with were were all kind of laughing because we were drinking and partying and whooping it up, and and uh, I said, you know, if that ever comes, I said, see this band of guys running around here? I said we're going to come over to your house and kill you and take all your stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all those all those guys said, that are hoarding we're, all we're that. We're the marauders crap. that you guys are all trying to protect yourself from. <laughs> yeah, so you better make friends with us and offer us a skill or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that whole net, network concept of survival. Yep, um, yep, yep. But yeah, so, so we were we had a good laugh about that. But it, yeah. but it's kind of I mean it's kind of funny. But 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 knowing uh, I wouldn't really. D- Right, I wouldn't really do that. But but knowing um, knowing what I know about um, the elements, you know, having grown up in a, a fairly harsh environment, at least in the winter, and and having gotten into some trouble myself because of climate, um, I'd say climate appropriate clothing uh, trumps a knife for short term mm-hmm. stuff because I, I can take you um, to any river. We can walk up and down the river. And I will find a stone that I can chip against another stone and have an edge. And right. basically all you need is an edge if you need anything. And then, you know, you can right. build a bow drill or whatever else with your shoestring and you can have a fire. Um, uh, and I know this is a podcast about knives, but <laughs> so I'm sorry to diss the knife, but I'd take clothing. Yeah, don't be knife. dissing the knife. The knife yeah, is yeah. important. Well, and, and obviously I'd have a knife too. But they, the question was if you could only bring one thing, and I'd say like a down parka, a really kick-ass down parka with a good shell on it. Because if nothing else, you can just huddle up under some branches or something, and if you've got a good um, parka and you can get out of the rain or out of the weather a little bit and shelter, even like tunnel into a snowbank or something, you're probably going to be we okay. We used to always talk about, I had a, a survival class long time ago, long, long, long time ago, probably 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the instructor had, a, we were going to go on an overnight, and it was, uh, it was we only could take with us what we could carry in a one-pound coffee can. Mm. Now now that we have K-cups, a lot of people don't even know what a one-pound coffee can is, but it's not a very damn big can. Maybe it's six inches tall, mm-hmm. and about... I don't know, maybe three inches across. Yeah, yeah, the the small coffee cans that you get like chock full of nuts in. Yep. Yeah. Well, and and it was twenty two below zero. Woo! And a lot of snow. Did they let and, you wear, bring your clothing and stuff, or? Yeah, you you wore whatever your clothes was, but then you could bring with you whatever you could put in a one pound coffee can. Mm. And so, you know, for weeks, and nobody realized how cold it was going to get because this assignment was like, this is how you're going to end the class. And uh, so we were kind of given it like six weeks prior to that. Uh-huh. And uh, and it was kind of interesting to see what kind of, what things people put in their 
Hmm. In their coffee can, I loaded mine up with hand, with candy bars. Candy bars. <laughs> I think I'd, <laughs> no, I, I think I'd pack. Um, I didn't actually, but yeah. Well, that's a, that's definitely a thought. Um, I I think if that was the scenario, and I still and I was allowed climate appropriate clothing, then in that coffee can I'd put a ferrocerium rod. Um, I'd put a mylar space blanket, and if I could. Managed to stuff a, now, a real small 35, sill nine. 30, 35 years ago, Chief, I'm not sure that they had those. Okay, so then did they have... I could in, be wrong, but I... Well, I don't know. I had Because I had they had Mylar uh, balloons, like the Roswell Well, we had, we had a, space blankets. We yeah. Had, we had, we so, had the Mylars. There was the Mylar space blanket, but the, but, uh, uh, the magnesium fire starters... Yeah, they had now, those. Now, do those have a ferro rod on them? That's a ferro rod on there, isn't it? Uh, it's a little a skinny one on the side. Yeah, it's a. I don't think that's a ferrocerium rod, but I know it's a sparker. I know they had those that long ago because I had one. Yeah, because I had. That's what I brought one of those. But they didn't have like the gob spark or the light light my fire style. Although, oh hell no, um, the oh boy, hell no, we we the, we made fire starters, yeah. wax and sawdust and but the those kinds of things. The Boy Scouts, um, even back that far, had uh, a little ferrocerium rod striker. And it, I still have my original one. It's a real small thing. I mean, it's literally it's well, like must an inch be, tall. That must be a ferro rod on the side of those uh, uh, magnesium things. Yeah. But so so you know, I, I'd say 35 years ago they probably had you probably would have access to a ferrocerium rod. But but back then the only place I knew where you could get them was from a Boy Scout store. Yeah. And so I I had that. I I put that in there. I put a mylar base blanket, and if I could possibly cram um some sort of a windbreaker like a like a, a small tarp or something i think that's what actually, i would do if I it's, actually if it's put only for a piece an of visqueen i put a piece yeah, of visqueen perfect yep and um uh that i was able to and, and it was a pretty good sized piece because i made a i made a, a good uh, a pretty good shelter out of it mm-hmm. and i used um um tree boughs for the for the base of it mm-hmm. and then i put that mylar um space blanket mm-hmm. um on the back side of it and then i had a fire on the front side of it so i kind of made like a lean-to thing yeah perfect uh, a long v- long worked, uh, v- worked very effective but it was it fire. was 22 below zero oh 22 below zero Oof. it was cold very cold yeah and people were People were not comfortable. Yeah. I mean, there was. Uh, I was pretty. I was pretty okay. I didn't. I didn't have any problems. But I actually set up some snares. I. I had some guitar strings mm-hmm. that I used to set up snares and just for <laughs> Over, just to for, keep yourself for cool busy. guy points. Yeah, yeah. You, cool. you gotta have the. You gotta get your man scout badge and stuff. Yeah. You know? And then I put. Uh, I found. I actually found a tree that had apples on it. Oh, that cold. Wow, yeah, you know, I suppose you put them on well, a stick were, and warm them up. They were froze, they were freeze dried. They were yeah. they were dried and um I put them in I put them in water. They tasted like crap. Better than nothing. But I ate, I ate one of them mm-hmm. and I and in my little can I had bullion cubes too. Oh, yeah. And I did perfect. and I did for I did take a candy bar. I had a Snickers bar with me. Yeah. I so mean, I didn't starve. Probably probably for an overnight, I'd be just fine without food. Um but yeah. you know, well, in that in that scenario I'd set that shelter up, get it, get it, you know, in in the lee, uh, you know, in the down with some protection. So in the lee of some sort of a natural formation, so yep. that when the wind comes, it's naturally blocked. 
And then I would yep. spend the rest of my time building up a massive firewood pile because you're going to burn yep. a that's, lot of wood. That's overnight. exactly. That's pretty much what yeah. I did. We were dropped off at seven o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and we were picked up at about nine the next day. Nine ten o'clock the next day. Yeah. Yeah, I had. And that. We actually had one. We had uh, uh, when we went back to the main parking lot. One of our guys, his car died. It was pretty funny. <laughs> we had to tow it home, but yeah. But no, it was it was actually a um, uh, it was an interesting evening because we weren't all that far apart. There were there were people that were uh, you know fifty sixty yards apart mm-hmm. in this forest, and uh, there were people that buddied up d- during the night because they were not making it. Right. They were not making it on their own. I had a couple people wander in my camp, and uh, that were freezing to death. Oof. And basically, we got them warmed up and. And uh, then I sent them packing, yeah. took all their shit and sent them packing. <laughs> hey, there you go. Close, <laughs> closest thing I ever I've done to that um, in a in a course. I mean, I've done the I've done it for real, um, but I it, as far as part of a course, um, I I took the boss course, uh, Boulder Outdoor mm-hmm. Survival School, for just to bone up on some desert stuff um, because you know there's more than one environment that I travel in and. I, I really wanted to get a handle on the desert stuff, um, mainly the finding water part. And there's there's all sorts of tricks you can do, and they taught us those. But um, on after we'd been working for a few days with them and we'd all kind of boned up on some skills, they did a similar thing. There's the, uh, es- I think it's the Escalante River in southern Utah, and they mm-hmm. just spaced us out up and down that river. So we had a good good water supply, but they dropped us off in the morning, and they didn't pick us up until, like, you know, four or five the next day or something like that. But, um, you know, I did exactly, exactly what I always do. I set my shelter up, looked for a likely spot, you know, that's got some, uh, you know, no widow makers, adequate, um, wood nearby, although we weren't allowed to start a fire, um, because it was a dry season or whatever. Uh, and then, uh, I found some like wild edibles close by. And, and then I, because it's in a river valley, I looked, I, I made sure I set up where I could scurry out of that valley real quick if there was a flash flood or something. And I, mm-hmm. I also set my shelter up above where there was obvious evidence of um, flash floods. But, you know, just in case there was like a one in a hundred years thing, I was real close to where I could quickly scamper up out of there. Um, but the hardest part of that, and I didn't have any food or anything, the hardest part of that was occupying occupying yourself with no other oh, yeah. people around just sitting there yep. you know so you know in in your scenario i just i just get a whole pot of firewood stacked up yep yeah i actually got i actually got some sleep during the night believe it or not yeah um because i had a, i had a, a, a an adequate shelter i had a lot of wood i had a good bed made of pine boughs mm-hmm. uh that i was very comfortable up off the off the snow Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, pulled the snow out of the way, and was actually quite quite comfortable during the night, um, and actually got some sleep. I was one of the few guys that actually got sleep. Uh, one, <laughs> I have to laugh. One of, about ten years ago, um, one of the fellows on the forum by the name of Edgewise took a class, and he actually was up close to me here on Boys Blank Island, and they did five days. With a knife, that was all they could bring with them was just a knife. They left all their cars on the wherever, wow. but they couldn't go back to them and stuff. 
And he said it was the most miserable five days he's ever spent anywhere in his life. What they do for water and water purification? Well, they're on they're on an island. I mean, Lake okay, Huron. So they're on an island in Lake Huron, so they had all kinds of. But it rained the whole time. They he said they were. He said it was awful. He said it was the worst. He said they were hungry. He said they ended up eating like one snail that they found. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was it was the worst, uh, the worst survival. Um, class that he had ever ever had he said as far as being misery he said they survived he said but it was miserable he said it was just ass miserable yeah he said it rained the whole five days he said so they they were freezing they couldn't hardly get a fire going because it was because it was so miserable um they only had a knife they couldn't have any other fire starting stuff so it was a it was whatever they were wearing Oh my god! And it was in the summertime, you know. So, hmm. uh, but you know, you think about it. If it's sixty degrees and raining, your body's you're gonna, wants to go to sixty yeah, degrees. You're gonna be toast. You're gonna you're gonna be toast unless you find a way to rectify that yep. situation. Yep, yep. And people don't, people don't realize it. They just think you know it's summertime up here, and you know, but it rains. It's sixty degrees. Drops off to sixty degrees at night, and and it's still raining. <laughs> you got no fire. You got no. You got no, basically, well, you got very little shelter. At, at least there's other people around. And um, the, the trick there is is people will have to get cold enough that they'll actually sleep close enough together and not have that, <laughs> like, I don't want to be cuddling next to another man thing. Because <laughs> 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 that, that's really what you, what basically one of the only things you can do in that situation is to just share body heat and block the wind. Yeah, well, it was. It, he said it was pretty lousy. He said I. He said it was not. Uh, and I, I can see. I mean, if somebody said, "Okay, here you're going to go out into the wilderness with one knife, and that's all you have." Yeah. Regard, and you're going to stay there for five days. I, I would think you'd, you'd be pretty freaking miserable. Yeah, yeah. You're, you know, there's just... not a lot you can do to, to. I mean, there is a lot you can do, but there's not a lot. I should rephrase that. There is a lot you can do. Yeah, build but build yourself if you just a, have a one knife to with a relatively. Um, but if you have if you have rain, if you've got like, mm-hmm. you know, I can make a bow drill fire, but for the love of God, if it's raining, it's tough. Yeah, I've, I've it's very tough. I've got I mean, a video the, where I actually did that, where I actually started back, a bow drill back, fire in the rain. Know, but it's it's back a in bitch. the day, back in the day when when that was it, there was no matches, and the natives were using that kind of technology to start fires. They started a fire and that, damn it, that fire didn't go out. Yeah, and and they you know they kept that fire going for. It, and if you if you let it go out and it was your responsibility, like yeah, they ate you. Yeah, there's going to be some <laughs> some serious. You became dinner. There's going to be you, some you serious became... buggery at the very least. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but that's how but that's how serious it was. I yeah. mean, so so you can uh, once you get the fire started, I guess it's it's one thing, but. But getting the fire started yeah. is, is, you know, I mean, you do it in the rain, and it's yeah. you've, you've got a pretty good skill set. You do yeah. it with just a bow drill set, you've yeah. got some serious skill. Well, and that's that's the thing is, um, after I had that, uh, after I got driven out of a certain forum with pitchforks, um, one of the things they said was that I couldn't couldn't start a fire in the rain, and I'm like, well, geez, that's. Uh, I, I don't know how I've done all this jungle trekking and stuff then because it rains constantly there. So what right. I did was I, one thing I did was I made a video of starting a bow drill fire in the rain. And uh, 
that that was a very different. I just brought a knife and a, a piece of paracord, and that's it. And so I just went out and harvested all of the different materials that I needed. I had to manufacture the the fireboard. I had to find the tinder, and it's not easy to do all of that stuff when it's actually raining. Right. So it, it took me some time, and it, it, I had to really monkey with it, but I eventually got it. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it, it it is if you were if you're in a survival situation that is that's a tough road to, road to hoe. Oh, there is yeah. no question about it yeah. because uh, you know you think about even if you're not going to do that you're going to try to capture a spark with two rocks or you know and you don't have the right rough. tinder. Yeah. The, the, I mean you, all of that stuff is rough and and I think uh, I mean it's a wonderful skill to know but boy I tell you I don't I wouldn't want to have to rely on it. Yeah. Um, speaking of. Um, just we we really have to end it here but just one yep. one final thing maybe we can talk about it in more depth next time is um, steel choices mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why I like 1095 is that if I have a knife made of 1095 and I've done this with the BK16 I've um, if if I can find a, a any piece of rock that when I strike it against smash it against another rock it it uh, splits so if i can mm-hmm. find quartzite or anything it doesn't have to be flint i can start a fire with just the knife and that broken piece of rock right um but again finding the tin tinder to catch that spark is hard if you don't have any char cloth char cloth is the easiest way but there are some natural tinders that you can use um but you really have to look around and find them and it's it's pretty darn hard it's Mm-hmm. to get that going but um at any rate this steel choice maybe we can talk about different steels and stuff one of these times and, mm-hmm. and why you would choose them and stuff i'm mm-hmm. not i'm not like a again i'm not a knife expert or really i i have an expertise but it's how i make my living <laughs> right. it has nothing right. to do with any of this stuff um right but the um the uh, steel choices and, and, you know, the different steels that are available would be an interesting topic. You know, I don't know about the, like, CPM 22973Xs, oh. 4Ps, you know, all those different well, variations and what they mean. But uh, I get I get kind of a funny, when I see these new steels come out and uh, and I hear these guys talk about what a great edge it holds, and they, they're holding a knife that, Somebody paid five thousand dollars for it, and they've never to used start it with, to, to be able to and, tell and me. And you that. know, it's never been used. Yeah, and they and yet they've never used it, and so they don't know the edge holding capabilities. Exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. But they're but they're uh, they're claiming that it's going to hold edge forever, and you know, it's the next thing to a lightsaber. But yeah, they've never they've never cut anything with it. Well, before we before we close, we should we should talk about knife. Um, the Knife Journal forums. We should probably try to get that going. Yeah. Um, um, people can let's set up. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a uh, a set of forums. I think for the podcast, so people can complain about what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Tell tell us we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And and that's fine. I yeah. I, you I, know I I welcome that kind of stuff. I don't yeah. I don't claim to be an expert. I never did. Um. I know what I know. It's, sometimes that's scary. It's supposed, sometimes it it's scares supposed to people. Be two guys talking <laughs> about knives. Yep. You know, it's it, yep. it, and I'm just an average guy from Iowa. You know, I'm not like 
some super ninja or anything. I'm just a regular guy. And this is these are the reason we did this podcast is we you and I sit around and bullshit about knives. Mm-hmm. And we do it anyway. And I have all kinds of friends that do that, um, that I do that with. Um, I, I actually had another conversation with another one of my friends last night that lives in Des Moines, which was an hour long, sounded exactly like what we're talking about. You know, and there's there's it, it basically sounds like you and me talking. Only he's got um he's got a little bit different taste in some of the knives that he likes than we do. He, he's really a huge bussy nut, and of course oh. he, he likes Bark River too. But you know, I I gotta say, Jerry is one of the finest marketing person people in the industry. Yeah. There's no question in my mind when you can take a knife that probably cost him. For sake of argument, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it cost him fifty bucks to make his cost, right? And he can turn around and sell it for three hundred fifty, four hundred dollars without a sheath. And they go up in price over time and without a sheath. Without, without a, a sheath. sheath, yeah. And they but it's the thing is, mind bending. You buy it's it. You buy it for three hundred bucks, and five years later, you're able to sell it for six hundred. It's totally mind bending. But me. it's awesome. I I own two bussies. I own a Boss Jack and a Badger. I can't find the Badger. I do like the Boss Jack. It's actually a very usable blade for me. I, um, but anyway, so we're going to try to get more um, more involved with that forum. Try to get that yep. up to speed. I'll, I'll set up a forum for each podcast. I think that might be the solution. Yeah, remember, you can send us uh, emails at podcast at knifejournal.com. Let me check that quick a minute to see if we have any... Uh, any hate mail yet? <laughs> any hate mail yet? I don't. I'm not. I don't think we do. I haven't seen any yet. Okay. Um. Nope. Yep. No hate. No hate mail. So. No hate mail. Yeah. It takes. It takes a while for people to get mad enough at you. <laughs> yeah. It, it took. It took like almost a full year for me to start getting trolls on my YouTube channel. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Well, we'll look for that. But it's uh, podcast at knifejournal.com. And uh, pretty, you know, we'll 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 read your emails online, and we won't tell or on on our podcast, and we will not disclose your name unless you want us to. Yeah, and it, it we'll use like if you have something you want us to talk about, um, you know, if we're interested in the subject, we'll we'll bring it up. Because chances are, if you're listening <laughs> to this, you're probably like a carbon copy clone of the two of yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. So and we'll we'll talk about it. Right. It's, uh, and mo- and even if even if we're not that interested in it, we'll still talk about it yeah. because we probably are interested in it, and we we just don't want to admit it. Right, <laughs> like like me and my obsession with that Jimmy Lyle knife. Exactly, that's <laughs> so exactly what I was thinking. Or like the hollow handle <laughs> knives, or any of those other yeah, things. That, so embarrassing. That nobody wants to admit in public. <laughs> it's like riding a moped, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, okay, well, we'll see you next time then. All right, have fun. Stay out of trouble now. And always, I'm, I'm going to go pack for my trip. And always carry a sharp knife. Yeah, and keep your... What did I say the other day? It was kind of cute. Uh, keep your knives sharp and your friends sharper. There you go. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll try to get another one of these out, uh, hopefully from the USN thing. Um, if not, when he gets back, we'll have, uh, we'll have uh, some USN footage, hopefully. Yeah, we'll yeah. have lots to talk about. Okay, see you next time. Talk to you soon. Yep. Yep, bye.